0: My name is Mike Engel, co-founder and head of strategy at One Cosmos, and I'm here to make you smile.
1: Who are you? This may
0: seem like a simple question, but businesses spend billions of dollars to answer this question about their employees, users, clients, and potential customers. One Cosmos is a platform that allows businesses to easily and quickly answer this question and thereby manage access control. Think of One Cosmos as a digital identity that you carry inside your device, which allows passwordless access to your banking app or your employees' internal systems. Mike Engel, the founder of One Cosmos, is a serial entrepreneur. And in this freewheeling conversation with Akshay Dat, he shares his lessons from his three decade long journey. Stay tuned for the conversation, and please do subscribe to Founder Thesis on YouTube or any audio streaming platform.
1: Okay, so uh, you know while we are here to talk about One Cosmos, but I I want to really understand uh, your professional journey like give me a little bit of a context like where did you grow up what did you study how did you start your career and you know what brought you up to being an entrepreneur
0: yeah i mean going way back uh i grew up in pennsylvania and um what changed my life was my parents bought me a uh, radio shack tandy color computer sometime in the 1980s right so um I was probably 10, 11, 12. I don't remember exactly, but I got the Tandy Coco 2. And uh, I was a bit of a, of a geek before the term
1: geek existed. <laughs> so uh, I opened up the book and, and learned uh, how to which, program. in which, basically... which year was this, when you were 10 or 11?
0: I'd say, I'd say it was, uh, yeah, it's almost 1984, 5.
1: Okay. Hmm.
0: All right. And, um, and then I eventually got my hands on a modem. And be able to connect to the outside world. So it started with a 1200 baud modem, and you know, connecting the CompuServe, and then eventually AOL and bulletin boards and all that stuff. So I had an affinity for computers right out of the gate, and um, you know, it's just have always played with technology. And uh, uh, one of the things I did back then was, you know, I didn't the, the term hacking didn't exist, but freaking did. P h r e a k i n g. So I would dial and try to find systems that would answer a modem and, and log into them or, or, you know, use four-digit PIN to get in. And it was kind of gray, you know, not so <laughs> people doing right. You could get into a lot of trouble today for it. But it taught me how to think about getting in and, and securing things, and that kind of changed my life. Um, so uh, fast forward, not many computers in high school. I had a typing class. That was it. So I learned how to type about 110 words a minute. Okay, uh, and then went to college and got just a number of, of uh, computer related jobs to put put myself through college and uh, and the rest is history. I, I moved into security right out of out of uh, out of college and headed towards Wall Street.
1: Uh, where did you join? Like, like, tell me about your career path also a bit.
0: Yeah, so uh, security didn't exist as a career back then. So I graduated college in '93. First job was in Philadelphia, just doing distributed systems, right? So migrating Novell to Windows and you know, just being the computer guy to, to make things happen. Um, I, I migrated my way out of Philadelphia to Wall Street. So I, I uh, landed a job at Merrill Lynch and really started focusing on Active Directory and, and securing you know, user accounts and account management and, and working with identities before they were called identities. Uh, went even further, and that was in Princeton, New Jersey, and, and made my way up to Lehman Brothers in 1996. And um, you know, one of the first things that I did there, again, was, was built out ways for users to access systems and detect when they were accessing systems improperly. And uh, we went through Y2K and had to protect the firm from all the hackers that were going to come on, on 2000, you know, right, January 1st, 2000. And that was quite a lot of fun. So uh, that was my path to getting to Wall Street, and eventually that turned into running the whole security program for both uh, uh, IT and uh, working on physical security technology as well,
1: like access control for buildings and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, access control, um, IP video, uh, biometrics. We were putting biometrics in, in data centers. So you had to scan your eyes to get in. It was it was really neat. Um, you know, robots that programming robots to to go through the data centers and just look for, for bad people, things like that. Okay. Uh, so my, my goal was to, to have the uh, both IT, you know, CISO, physical security, IT security coming together under one hat. Um, I thought that that might be a converging trend. It turns out that it really hasn't, right? Not many organizations have physical and logical security under the same umbrella. So kind of glad that, that, that I didn't pursue that too long. But it's neat neat to have both skills uh, in the tool belt for sure.
1: Mm. Did you encounter any threat actors and, you know, any war stories from Lehman?
0: Oh, yeah, so many. I mean, um, one of the uh, first really uh, gold stars of my career was I wrote scripts to monitor the domain controllers because you didn't have endpoint protection back then. You had antivirus. And so I wrote scripts in Perl uh, for those that really, again, want to date myself. And um, it just looked for account, strange account activity. And I deployed this on the domain controllers. And then the alerts were all going to me. We didn't have a security operations team. This was in the early days. And Friday night, 11.45 p.m., my BlackBerry Research and Motion pager with a little wheel and a keyboard on it starts lighting up. It says, user strange user started doing strange thing. I'm like, uh, that's really strange, but it's 11 o'clock on a Friday. So I called the help desk. I said, just call me and tell me if anything strange happens. And my phone rang five minutes later and they said a whole bunch of bankers just called. They can't get to their files. So I logged into that domain controller and I saw thousands of files getting deleted. And so I disabled the accounts and I, I called, called everybody. I, I basically called a you know, code red and got everybody in. Because somebody put a uh, a scheduled task on to get, do elevated privileges, and they were trying to take out the whole investment banking division. Oh, so, wow. um, you know, I, it could have been a lot worse. I caught it on Friday night. You know, it didn't go until Saturday, Sunday morning, and we had everything back and restored from backup tapes. Right, we were using tapes back then, Wow. and uh, it was just a really, it was a, a cool wind. Right, and so often that that we we don't see the wins in, in InfoSec. Um, so that was one, and then we got affected by a worm once that got into our environment and took the entire network down in six seconds. Wow! And we had to go visit every Cisco switch and manually reboot it. Mm-hmm. So seems some real, a uh, you know that that was back when you really worried about perimeter, uh, which today is not as much of the focus because of the cloud, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, you know you've used a bunch of. Uh, very industry-specific uh, terms, which a lot of listeners may not understand. Like, um, what is CISO? I'm just yeah, CISO, you keep asking right? you these terms, and you know, we can just go through them for people to get some context.
0: Sure. So uh, the term CISO, I think, really evolved in the 2000s. It stands for Chief Information Security Officer. So today there's a chief for everything, right? I'm chief strategy officer now, there's chief revenue officers, chief operating officer. So the term CISO though is very specific to protecting the information and, and setting all the policies and typically managing uh, a large teams that, that do that. So a lot of my friends that are CISOs now, you know, I have teams of 200 people that just do security. So that's what CISO is and uh, it's a very high stress, um high visible visible job in most organizations
1: yeah i can imagine uh, what is the endpoint protection
0: well um i think everybody has experienced it if they bought a new computer and that's you know anything that protects your computer uh and the endpoint means the the device that we use it's your windows your mac your iphone or your android and so uh Old endpoint protection was just antivirus, Symantec, McAfee, and that stuff is still around. And now they have um, more behavioral detection, right? Like my computer's doing something weird or looking for malware in different ways. So that's what endpoint protection is. And there's there's an evolution of InfoSec. It started with, let's just get a firewall. That stops bad guys from getting into my network because when computers first got connected, everything was open. You could just log in anywhere pretty much. And then we put firewalls in place and then we realized- yeah, A firewall is, is
1: just something which requires a password before it gives you access?
0: It's um, your house. If you have uh, cable or, or broadband internet, has a cable modem, right? Like, and it has a built-in firewall. It stops somebody from just getting in and connecting to your computer. Firewalls have been around, you know, one of the oldest uh, internet technologies. And that used to be an entire industry. That was like the hot industry was firewalls. Hmm. Um, But today it's gotten just so intricate and interconnected that you need obviously much more than firewalls and antivirus.
1: So you were talking about the evolution. It started with firewalls then?
0: Yeah. So uh, um, there's been you know, entire industries that have create, been, been popping up every couple of years, you know, like there's firewalls and antivirus. And, and then we got into uh, very specific security technologies that, that do certain things. It might be, I just detect bad things on my network. I see traffic, I see behaviors. There's an entire industry that popped up just to control what websites people go to. They're, you know, they're called web proxies. So, Like all these little uh, solutions popped up to help add more security, more controls because the bad guys are getting more and more creative to try to, uh, um, you know, to get in and steal all of our
1: our secrets. Mm, Okay. For uh, like, let's say a a company doing a billion dollars of revenue, how many uh, tools would the CISO be using for managing security?
0: Yeah, way too many. So what what happened, most CISOs, um, you know, they have this, emerg- this this urgent problem. I have to do, everybody knows about two-factor authentication, right? That's the code that you have to go get after you log in. And so people go out and they buy all these two-factor tools and more tools and more tools. There's probably 200 to 400 security tools inside of a, of a good-sized organization today. And they're trying to reduce that because every tool has to be managed. It has a license cost, et cetera yeah there's there's too many I think is the answer
1: yeah okay uh, so yeah I mean you know considering that everything is on the cloud um, most of the cloud applications come with built-in security right like if I'm using and again I'm giving a very very simple example but if I'm using Google for my email and if I log into a new device it'll automatically uh, ask me to Uh, you know, verify identity through like a one-time password on my phone. So why does an organization need to go beyond what uh, a a cloud application already has available as security?
0: Yes, because, um, you know, Google, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, Apple, you know, the the large companies, they, they do a lot and they have a lot of security built into their products and you want to use as much of that as you can you know, they're so big. And if you try to rely on just Microsoft to do your security, there's many gaps. What happens if you have a Mac, right? So, uh, you you know, that's just one incredibly simple example as to why you can't have one solution provider for security. Uh, Another example is um, something called privilege access management. So you have your super users, your administrators, they're the the people that get in there and can create and manage everything. There's an entire industry called privilege access management that puts really strict controls because those are the most important systems, right? And your Microsofts and Googles don't do privilege access management. There's billion dollar companies that do it. So you have all these nuances because again, the the bad guys get a hold of that one account and they can ransomware you and do all these bad things. So there is a need for, you know, hundreds of security products and, and then different verticals need different security applications. So for example, doctors, they need to walk up to a, uh, their, their medical screen and just tap it and work with a patient and walk away. So there's an entire product line that lets you tap a badge to that workstation and go, you know, like just very simple examples, but that's why it's like there's there's it's complicated out there and and uh, the big box vendors just can't can't do it all they might do 20 30% i would say
1: hmm. interesting okay so uh, you were there for the lehman crash right uh, tell me about living through that and what did you do next
0: yeah so um, you know lehman was was the darling of wall street had phenomenal growth and um, they got caught up into the real estate bubble and uh, got overextended and, and um, you know, many of us were there until the end, until 2000, September 15th, 2008. And uh, we thought this could never happen, right? You, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like WorldCom was complete theft by management, right? Complete abuse. This was risky bets. So, you know, we watched it the stock going down, down. Some of us bought a little bit more because, well, it's $2 a share. Why not? uh, (laughs) uh, there's a lesson there's a lesson in that somewhere i could tell you about you know uh, risk management but so um i lost you know three years of what are called rsus restricted stock units which is a large part of my pay for three years but you know it's a lesson in life right there's worse problems i could have right i was very lucky to have a good job and to have made you know decent money all those years so but i got I was done with Merrill Lynch and Wall Street and driving to New York City every day. So what happened was Lehman was heavily impacted by 9-11. We had had a thousand people in World Trade Center and the plane hit. We had one employee that was in the elevator that died. But that heightened our awareness of security and being able to protect our employees. And so one of my projects when I got involved with physical security was how do we track our employees and be able to help them in minutes if we ever have another emergency? And so we were you know, far more sensitized to the physical presence of our people. So I got involved with tracking people when they came in the building and tracking when they left because in an emergency, everybody runs out the doors, but you don't know who left. And so we, we, you know, normally you, you put your badge to come into a building. Well, Lehman Brothers had you badging out. So now when you run out of the building and you, if your badge was red, we know that there's only 400 people left that we have to, to find. So that was really neat. And one of the, uh, technology providers that I used was a company called two track. They were based out of, uh, out of London. And I really liked their, their technology. We were tracking our executives when they went to the middle East. We were tracking the CEO's artwork in case it got stolen. Like we were tracking everything. So I got into tracking and I, I decided to start a tracking company in 2009. And I started tracking vehicles and, and high uh, net worth individuals for security purposes. And uh, that company is called Two Track. It's still around today and has uh, thousands of vehicles and, and uh, hundreds of high net worth people that it tracks today all over the world. So uh, it was neat. Um, I learned a lot about trying to start a company in an economic downturn, not easy and uh, made a lot of mistakes on how to grow a company. And uh, between now and then I've, I've started uh, two other companies and and happy to tell you a little bit about that as well. But just to wrap up on Lehman Brothers, you know, it was really surreal when the bankruptcy hit and Barclays came and bought our building and um, just a very unforgettable moment. Well, you know, People carrying boxes out on their shoulders right out the lobby with all their belongings on on September fifteenth.
1: Yeah, 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 all the iconic photos show that. Yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, two track would have been like a hardware software product, not just pure software, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Little little device you put in a vehicle or, you know, I happen to have an old uh, an old BlackBerry here with the with the keyboard. <laughs> I was I was doing a presentation. I got this out for effect. But okay. we would put a piece of software on this. This was the only smartphone before, in two, before 2008, right? This yeah. was it. Yeah. So we, 2Track had a little app that would track this and, and you, you could push a panic button and call for help and, and uh, that was used by the um, you know, some, some pretty important people on Wall Street. Mm. Um, so that was good. I, I, I did that for about five years and again, tracked all kinds of different organizations and people
1: i guess uh, the you know the uh, consumer technology kind of made the business redundant right like once you have a smartphone then it's just a matter of downloading an app and i mean the value creation as a company for you would have been very limited right like
0: if you tried it today everybody has free apps that they can use to track their their people their kids right their children But there's still, you know, to your example before, your question before, like why, you know, why don't people just use Google or Microsoft or Apple? Well, you know, today we still have high net worth individuals that want a very specific application. They want to prove how many days their executives stay in New York City or do not stay in New York City. Why? Because you have to pay taxes for every day you're in New York City. OK, so okay. I give them an application that costs a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. and they can prove to the IRS that they were only in New York for 57 days. And so that saves them potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. So it's a very specific application. You know, it's like um, it's just different ways to deliver something that's commoditized in a way that adds value.
1: Mm. The uh, vehicle tracking business by itself is a large opportunity. Uh and there are, like, unicorns in that space, uh, right. like, you know, who work with, let's say, fleet operators and use that uh, telematics data to create, I mean, as the base layer and then create more value-added services on top of that and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, that could have been a way to, like, build a unicorn.
0: It could have, yeah. If I had known what I know today about fundraising and scaling, growing, product, marketing, uh, I was just... You know, I was a security geek that started a company. Um, okay. I didn't have much mentorship in the area. And so, it, you know, it grew, it grew to a, a, a respectable size and I, I created jobs and, and, uh, and provided good value. But I missed the, the tracking unicorn uh,
1: for sure on that one. So, mm. okay. okay. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So what were the other two ventures that you did?
0: Yeah. So a, a friend of mine who was at Lehman with me, uh, we got together and started uh, a, another security company called Bastille Networks. Bastille, as in the uh, castle in France, or the band, if you like the, the Bastille band. And um, what it does is it, it monitors your space for all of the wireless conversations that are happening. So right now, around me, I probably have, you know, 20 radios in computers, laptops, phones, you know, tablets, whatever, and organizations don't know what conversations are happening inside their own wireless environment. You have Wi-Fi, but there's so many other wireless things that Wi-Fi can't see. There's Bluetooth, Zigbee, and Z-Wave, and all this stuff. So um, we're using a technology called software-defined radio, which means I can program a radio to look for anything. From like you know you if you know megahertz and kilohertz and gigahertz right that goes all the way down to sixty megahertz to six gigahertz and just see everything. So what we'll do is uh, the federal government has these areas where no cell phones are allowed, no Fitbits are allowed, no Apple watches. We put our sensors and we show them what's going on. Uh, manufacturing uses lots of wireless. Lots of bad guys could jam the wireless or. Or detect, you know, or, or or hack into to your data centers through the chillers, right? So, it's nichey, but it was an unserved market using specialized technology that um, has been very well
1: received by the market. Mm. Okay, what did you learn about scaling up uh, niche businesses? Uh, you know, like how do you? Uh, find the right audience for it and um, you did it bootstrapped so you know how did you scale it up in a bootstrapped way and uh, just tell me a few of those lessons
0: yeah you know there's a couple of things there's um there's a book called the lean startup um by um eric Reese, it's like the bible for how to figure out what works and what doesn't. And there's, there's a couple there's, I think there's, there's probably 10 Bibles if you know, or whatever your book is. And the principle behind it is build, measure, learn. So you build something, you measure its success, you learn from it, and then you pivot. So nearly every company I've been involved with, including Lehman Brothers, you know, we've tried certain things and you, you learn, you fail fast is a common term in in entrepreneur world. And you, the more failures you have, the better, the more rounded you are, the more experienced you are about a product or yourself. And so, for example, at Bastille, we tried targeting Fortune 500 out of the box. And if there's, a, there's a vulnerability in nearly every uh, mouse that allows me to turn this into a keyboard. It, we called it mouse jack. Okay. Because when we detected it. And so bad guys can connect to the mouse, see all of your keystrokes and, you know, but we went to the fortune 500 and we tried selling it there and they're like, it's hard to put all those sensors into all of my floors where all of my people are, it's too expensive. And that problem, it's a, there's a proximity. You have to sit outside the windows as a bad actor. And so we learned that that wasn't on the top 10 or 20 priorities at the time. And so we pivoted into government. The government really cares about this in an embassy, right?
1: Right, yeah. And
0: so that's like an example where we could have spent five years and burned all of our money and and that's it, companies out of business. So we pivoted early enough and we added cell phone detection and some other things. So um, the market testing, there's something called the mom test. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. So the mom test, uh, I might mess it up a little bit, but there's a book called the mom test. It's how to talk to your customers and learn, um, if, if it's just your mom saying, oh, that sounds great, honey. Nice job. (laughs) You know why? Because, because we go, we go tell, we go test it all with our friends and we, you know, we ask our mom, mom, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think it's a good idea to look for uh, mice in fortune 500? She goes, that sounds great, but you need to you need to figure out the right questions to ask so you're not wasting your time. And it needs to be, you know, it needs to be like your mom doesn't give you the hard truth sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if I had talked to one of my CISO friends about that and he was like, Mike, no, don't, you're not going to sell that to me. You're wasting your time. Right. I asked my mom, she says, yes. I asked my CISO. Friend, he says, <laughs> right. So that's yeah. called the mom test. So that's really important. And I, I recommend everybody to, uh, to check out that book if they're, if they're, you know, testing new ideas out in the marketplace.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what about, uh, building sales muscle? Like, I mean, you're not a sales guy, right? Like you, but, but you must have had to learn how to, uh, sell, how to get customers.
0: Well, as soon as you start a company, you're a sales guy or girl. That's it.
1: Yeah, you absolutely. have to sell.
0: Um, every successful startup has founder led sales and you need to know, I mean, really in life, aren't you always selling yourself, your ideas to your kids, to your wife, to your, you know, your, your religious institution, your, your, you know, you're doing fundraising, whatever it is. So I think selling is being enthusiastic about what you do. And so you, you, you have to sell. And so I did learn a lot about sales. Now I, there's all these structured sales programs and the methodology of a deal, and I hire salespeople to do the mechanics. But you have to sell. I, I'm selling to you right now. Yeah. So <laughs> it is really important. I think I think sales, the term has a bad rap, but um, some of the most successful people in life are, are good salespeople.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, what did you learn about uh, how to be a good salesperson?
0: Um, it's asking as many questions to the other person as it is just telling them what you do. So uh, you can have a conversation with a customer. It's more about, it's, it's a conversation, not a sale. So they, they kind of go hand in hand. And for example, if I, if I, and there's certain uh, words that you wanna use to open up somebody's mind, and I'll give you some examples. If I say, um actually, how open-minded are you to learning about cybersecurity?
1: Mm. How yeah, open-minded there, are you? There's, there's no answer. No. Yeah. There's only
0: one answer. So yeah. you phrase quite, you know, you learn a little bit, just some simple mechanics like that. Or 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 how would you feel if I could stop bad people from getting into your environment?
1: Mm. Yeah. I'd feel
0: great. Yeah. Right. So you learn you learn a little bit of, of just conversational is a little bit of psychology in it. And I've really geeked out on some of that stuff. So I have this list of 20 that they're called magic phrases that I try to work into conversations. Um, You know, and so uh, it's just learning over time, what works, what doesn't talking too much bad. asking questions and listening. Good. Right. So uh, I am stating the obvious, but uh, it's a lot of things that technologists may not think about when they get started. Mm,
1: yeah. yeah yeah interesting okay so uh, uh, tell me about one cosmos uh, you know how did that come about what's the background there
0: yeah a, a bunch of my friends that were CISOs, um there's like three of them that that kept telling me about this uh this company and this guy uh, who's who's the founder you know my partner in business over here and so I'm like i gotta go meet this guy and so i I met up with him um He's gone on like seven, eight years ago. And he's an entrepreneur as well. His last company, he grew to over a thousand people. His last company is called Simeo Solutions. And so um, I just like the guy. And, and, you know, one of the most important things when you get involved with a company is liking your business partners. If there's anything toxic there, we've seen many stories where that just doesn't work. So the idea behind the company is all about identity. And if you think about what we struggle with today online, your parents or, or, you know, your friends and family trying to log in and do things, it's so broken. You know, we're, we're, we're creating new accounts everywhere we go. We can't prove who we are. The bad guys know how to log in as us. And so the idea that, that we came up with is let's figure out a way to prove who we are. That's easy and repeatable. And uh, the company is called One Cosmos, as you mentioned. One Cosmos with a K stands for one universe. Uh, cosmos means universe or world in Greek. And so uh, the idea is you'll have one identity everywhere you go online. Now, when you go to airports or hotels, you have one identity today, right? You're, you're who you are from your hometown with your, your documents, your driver's license, your passport, you know, your ad hoc card, whatever it is. And, but online, you don't have that. So what's happened in the last couple of years is this has become a very powerful tool for us to hold and use a digital identity. And that's what we really started doing um, from day one is creating a way for you to prove who you are and use that proof over and over again to to do anything online in a safe and secure way. And it's easier than how you're doing it today.
1: Uh, Give me like a uh, lay of the land uh, in terms of identity solutions. Uh, I believe there's also like a company called Okta, which is also into identity solutions and, uh, you know, like help me understand the space uh, a bit better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Okta is, uh, they're an identity company as is now Microsoft, as is, um, yeah there's forge rock and ping and you know a, a couple pretty prominent players and of course there's the companies that do things in airports so right, uh, if you go
1: scan your eyes would you say that even like say facebook linkedin google apple are all identity companies because i can go to a website which will allow me to sign in with apple sign in with google
0: that's right yeah so before those guys you had a username and a password everywhere right hmm. um And that's, uh, you know, of course, very fragmented and you're creating more data in these hundreds of systems. And then Google and Facebook, Microsoft, Apple became the gateway of the the platform that we engage with. So now you log in with Apple, they make it really easy. There's one way to do it. The problem with that is, um, is they control your identity now. So... If Apple doesn't like something about me, or Google doesn't like something about me, and they turn off my my identity, my login, I'm done. And this has happened to people. And I'll, I'll give you one example. I have probably you know ten Gmail accounts, you know, from different companies I've worked at, and 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 uh, um, and lots of people do. One of my accounts has all my photos and lots of documents. There's a story, and this is you can look this up online, of a, of a guy who uploaded photos to Google Photos and Google interpreted a photo as having child like, pornographic content. It didn't, but they have a policy. It's very, very binary. It says if their algorithm detects this, they shut your account down and you'll never access it again. No, it so you're, you're basing your login with Google... On this one rule right you know maybe there's a, a picture of something over my shoulder in a photo that they don't like right and so when you trust your identity to these these gateways it's there's risk there so personally i use my email and a password and then i use a password manager like one password um to to control that myself so if if Google's like, ah, you know what? We don't like you. Fine. I'll move my email over somewhere else, but I have my usernames and passwords everywhere. And then the other challenge is as a company, are you ever going to trust login with Google to get into your company systems? There's no way, right? Yeah. Never. I mean, Google could, could write the rules now to get into your corporate applications. So there's lots of challenges with it. That's called federated login. And what, what now um, is happening is there's. What, what, what does
1: that term mean, federated login?
0: Federated, meaning uh, I'm, I'm trusting this one party, okay. Facebook. Login with Facebook, and Facebook is going to go use, uh, uh, send my information to 200 sites. It makes it much easier, but um, I'm trusting all that federation to Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft. Okay. Now, Okta is a commercial version of that. But it's the same thing so you log into okta and then okta will send your information to salesforce.com or you know whatever your business applications are so they've made a business version of login with facebook or login with google that you can kind of write your own rules and control and there's no way okta is going to like you know turn it off because this is now that's what they do for a living right so Mm -hmm. okta's made a great business but i still wouldn't call them an identity company I call them single sign-on systems. And the term single sign-on, um, if you've ever logged into your Google and then you logged in somewhere else with your Gmail account, that's it's like passing your your identity to that other entity. That's called single sign-ons. Yeah, you need sign to sign in just once. <laughs> and use it multiple times, yeah. So um, these companies are single sign-on. And the reason they're single sign-on, not identity companies, is because they can't prove it's Mike Engel that's logging in. And that's what One Cosmos does for a living. And there's a big difference between the two.
1: What is the difference?
0: The difference is um, I'm going to hold my phone up to my screen and show you what I have inside of my application here. And the picture is worth a thousand words. So I have, let's see if this works. My, yeah, my identity. Yeah, I inside see of my One Cosmos application, and you can call this, you know, my uh, Bank of America application, whatever you want. I have verified my driver's license, and that means I've scanned it, I've matched my face, I've done all these integrity checks, and now I'm in charge of it. So One Cosmos doesn't have it. Uh, my employer doesn't have it. Whatever, I have it. And that's the next wave of identity, is letting people take their citizen identity or their their you know whatever it is their their real world identity, and owning it just like you own a driver's license or a passport today, and then only presenting it when you need it and with consent and permission. So there's a couple of names for this technology. It's called like singles or um, self sovereign identity is one of the terms. Or user managed or user controlled identity. And it's really the same as when you go to the airport and you present your passport. You're in control of that. They can't take that out of your pocket and see it. And so that's the, the next wave in digital identity that One Cosmos is is pioneering.
1: What is the one cosmos product? Help me understand that. Like
0: Yeah, we, we call the platform block ID. And the reason the word block is in there is because we use some of the best parts of blockchain technology to keep everything safe and secure. Um, But the technology is, it really revolves around a few simple concepts. So let's say, uh, have you opened a bank account or a crypto account in the last five years?
1: Um, Yeah, bank account.
0: Bank account, okay. You had to prove to the bank who you are. The old way of doing that in the United States Is type in your social security number, right? Your national ID number, your address, your phone number, waiting a few days, maybe getting rejected or, you know, maybe you have to go into the branch. It's very painful and uh, for both the company and for the person. So what we do is we say, sit at home, scan your documents and digitally transmit them to the bank. And that concept is called identity proofing, I'm proving my identity, identity verification. And that's a multi-billion dollar industry. So we do that. We do it really well. We do it in a way then where, when you proof who you are, you keep it and you save it for yourself, And there's, there's a couple other companies that do that as well. Then we can turn this strong identity into a passwordless experience. So uh, have you heard the term passwordless uh, getting popular anywhere? Is that ringing a bell?
1: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: So passwordless, what does that mean? I log in without a password. It's that simple. And the way you do it typically is using a biometric. Biometric can be your face, your uh, thumb, maybe a retina, you know, or, or even your voice. And so that's a game changer. And the reason we can do that now, but we couldn't do it really 10 years ago is because biometrics are everywhere. Now you have a camera on every device, billions of cameras and every, you know, that have been consumerized by, you know, first Blackberry and then Apple and Google. And so now I can look you in the face anytime and say, is this you? And that's, a, that's really what's allowing uh, a password list. There's two technologies that are allowing password lists to get popular it's that, your face, your thumb, whatever, and a secret. All right. So, this is like a, a cryptography thing, right? Where I can put a secret key and keep it somewhere safe that only I can get to it. And that secret place is an Apple keychain or your Google security area on your phone. And of course, Windows and Mac, they have it as well. Or there's even um, like this here. This is a little device, a USB device that I can plug into. That's a secret key. So this, plus my face, allows me to log in anywhere without even really touching the keyboard, right? That's passwordless. And there's lots of different
1: flavors, but that's kind of the gist. Mm, Okay, okay. is there a reason why Apple dished fingerprints Uh, and only Apple has this fingerprints on phones, right? Like nobody else has.
0: Well, I think the Androids do too. Um, I have a a galaxy S 10 that does a thumbprint reader. Yeah. And actually my, my windows, uh, my Mac laptop has a thumbprint reader. So um, they're, they're getting uh, popular and I think people are getting very comfortable with using them is there's thumbprint and face scanners in cars now. You can just unlock your
1: car by walking up to it with your face. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, uh, I was asking that. Like, Apple is focused more on face scan as opposed to thumbprint. Uh, most Android devices are still on thumbprint. Uh, is there a, is there like a relative advantage of one approach versus other?
0: Um, I think the face, the way Apple's done it, is is really neat because they're using lidar. They're using like. Like okay. a form of, uh, it's not just the their camera, but they're using, they can tell the depth of my my eyes mm. and all this stuff. Um, so it's very accurate. It's fast. It works in the dark. So that's probably, they've just gotten really good at it okay. and getting you,
1: people comfortable with it. You need hardware to have a strong face uh, identity system and Apple it obviously is. has hardware in place so that's why they can go all in on face got it interesting exactly. okay. okay 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 so okay uh, like so you said that uh, through uh, essentially you can first create an identity and uh, with that identity uh, on your phone you can now do passwordless uh, login to systems uh, using one cosmos
0: that's right yeah there's a couple ways to do it mm-hmm. so uh, I'll walk through three examples. Normally you go to a computer system, like your remote access or your login to your bank and it's username, password, You'd enter, and then you go fetch a code or your your app jingles and you say, okay. What we can do is we can display a QR code and you scan the QR code, scan your face and you're in in about two seconds. And there's a couple advantages to that, first of all, It's so easy, right? We all know how to scan QR codes now because of COVID and menus, right? You scan a menu, right? Um, The second is it's phishing resistant. So phishing, PH, right? Not not with an F. For those that don't know what phishing is, it's somebody trying to steal your credentials. So they'll call you up or they'll send you an email with a link. They want you to click it and they'll steal your information. Because I'm reaching out and initiating here and scanning it's much harder for a bad person to get into this loop right yeah so that's phishing resistant passwordless if done right is phishing resistant and that's great excuse me because the 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 bad guys know how to fish really well right the mgm hack that shut down the casinos a couple weeks ago was some sophisticated phishing
1: Mm. so uh, in a phishing attack essentially they'll create a replica website of a website where you normally log in. And if you're not careful, you will just enter your username and password and click on login. There might be like a spelling, minor change in the spelling of the domain, et cetera, so that you don't realize it. And that's how they get your password. And and then they can misuse your password. Exactly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly. And if you're using the QR scanning, then there is no way that, I I mean, the whole uh, uh, ability to do that gets eliminated then.
0: Yeah, because um, there's nothing for them to go get. I just got one today from uh, the, the uh, USPS, USPS. It said, your a package could not be delivered. Click here to, to fix it. And they were trying to get all my information. And it's very well done. Their websites are amazing. Now, if I knew that if I knew that every time I log into USPS, I have a certain procedure. I have password lists. I'd look at that and be like, I can't even log in. I have nothing to give you. For example one cosmos i don't have a one cosmos username and password there's nothing to fish so when i go to log into my mail and <clears throat> if somebody I, I, i'm sorry I, you cannot log in as me unless you have my face mm-hmm. and and my my authenticator on my phone right so that's that's a real game changer <laughs> from a uh, security perspective
1: okay um, so okay now you have this app uh, for consumers to prove their identity, uh, what are the businesses who are currently accepting this as a way for you to log in? Uh, you know, I, I mean, there are two pieces of this puzzle that you need to solve, right? You need to, uh, have like consumers give them a way to, uh, prove their identity. And then you need to have businesses use this as a way to allow consumers to log in. Uh, so what's happening okay. on the business side?
0: Yeah, there's, so you don't need to prove who you are everywhere. For example, Amazon, they've never asked me for my driver's license. Yeah. All they care about is I pay my bills with my credit card, right? And they ship me products. It's amazing. Um, so for them, um, they're sort of passwordless, right? When I, um, because when I log in once, it stays like, I don't know, I don't know how they know who I am, but it, they're always there. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of organizations now will pop up when I log in username password, they'll pop up and say, would you like to go passwordless? I say, yes, and then my iPhone or my windows will just pop up and say, scan your face or scan your finger. And that's what she'll do going forward. <clears throat> so there's an um, industry standard that's getting really popular. It's called Fido, like Fido, the dog. We have, you know, it's a common dog name over here, I guess. It stands for Fast Identity Online. It's a nonprofit. It was formed in 2013. And all the big tech companies and companies like One Cosmos are in there saying, we're gonna help the whole world get rid of passwords. And so there's a standard. And so now Fido is built into every device you use. It's in your iPhone, your Android, your Chrome, your Safari, your Firefox. So what you're seeing is when you log into your existing bank or merchant, it pops up and says, would you like to go passwordless? And What are you gonna say, yes or no?
1: Obviously, yes, yeah.
0: You're gonna say yes. And so you're going you're gonna to see this happening over and over again with more websites where they say, let's get rid of passwords. In fact, there's a FIDO conference going on right now up in, uh, in California where all the, the tech people are, are talking about this. And because Apple, Google, and Microsoft are heavily invested, it will happen. So that's exciting
1: because it
0: means there is a future for us to get rid of passwords.
1: Uh, what is... Uh... So, I mean, what's One Cosmos doing uh, in, in the FIDO ecosystem? And I mean, isn't FIDO in a way replacing One Cosmos? Like uh, you're saying that FIDO will allow companies to directly scan consumers. Why would they need a One Cosmos app then?
0: A couple of reasons. Um, FIDO right now is uh, all about the, the passwordless part, but it doesn't have identity built into it. So in that example, username, password, would you like to enable Fido? I didn't really prove who I was there. Okay. So a bad guy has my username and password, they can turn on Fido. Well, One Cosmos says is, turn on Fido if you have a verified identity. Ah, you know, and and again, you don't need to do that for, you know, ordering a, a $2 Razor. But for doing banking, you want verified identity. And we're really good at verified identity. And the other reason is, you know, there's a lot of devil in the details on how you do FIDO. It's not just press a button and it's magic inside of your application. So we provide a very flexible framework where you can do FIDO in certain ways. So enterprises don't want to just trust Apple or Google with their, it's going back to that other example we had. They want to put very strict controls on their system login. Before you log into you know, um, te- your, your Tesla, you want to know that it's that person. So we, we bring a lot of, of higher levels of security to the FIDO experience, whether it's FIDO or, or it's not FIDO. Uh, so uh,
1: how do you uh, prove that, uh, like I am Akshay Dutt on one. There's, there's, there's,
0: there's, there's a, a number of different ways in um, the United States, we have a standard. Uh, Our standards uh, government organization is called NIST, the National Institution for Standards and Technologies. Um, And so they have a a, a rule set of guidelines where you say, here's how you prove who somebody is. You scan their credential, you match their face and you verify their identity in the databases so for example, I have to prove I live at 123 Main Street. So we have built products that follow that standard. In Europe, you have a standard called EIDAS. Um, you have a similar standard in, uh, in, in UK and, and, and in many parts of the world. So that's one way you prove identity is following the standard for, for document proofing, identity verification. The other way that can be a little easier is just verifying your phone. In some countries, you have to prove identity before you get a phone number. And so, if I, you've probably had the same cell phone number for many, many years, right? Yeah, yeah. If I can prove you have your phone, I can prove that you are who you are. And another way, even you know, even just as easy, is prove that you have a bank account. Mm -hmm. Why? Because bank accounts are subject to money laundering checks, right? Anti-terrorism, all those things.
1: Yeah, then so know your customer
0: norms. Know your customer, right? And so we have all these different ways, and and you might want to just gently ask your customers to do these things because the, the big the big fear is friction. If you create friction when you're logging in and doing something, they're going to go to the competitor. So we've gotten really good at at gently asking users to prove who they are in a way they're like, no problem, I really want to complete this transaction, so. Let's just verify your phone number. You don't have to bother scanning your driver's license. However, you're going to scan you're going to move $100,000 or change the routing number on your account. You know what? We need your driver's license. We need your passport, right? So, we've created those custom rules in the platform that make it really
1: easy. What are the businesses who are using One Cosmos? and I assume you monetize through businesses, right? Like this is not a consumer product.
0: Yeah, we have we have um <laughs> Uh, uh, a good number of of Fortune 100 banks that use the platform for their employees to get rid of passwords, right? Because passwords let the bad guys in. So an, an example would be one of the largest asset managers in the world uses our platform to log into remote access, right? So they log in from home and then they log into their Windows or their Mac with our technology because all they have to do is just press a button and scan their face. It's an amazing user experience. It keeps the bad guys out. In the consumer world, we have one of the um, largest banks in India that uses it to authenticate their banking consumers and their employees. It's kind of neat because they're they're using identity for both. We've served the one of the largest uh, uh, telco operators in the world, uh, Verizon, uses uh, our product to create something called Verizon Identity. Um, so it really there's no limit to the type of company that needs better identity, right? It's it's because it's so broken, and so uh, we don't really limit ourselves to any particular vertical or uh, or industry.
1: Uh, so, is this a um, like you said a bank in India uses it? Uh, would the bank ask consumers to download the One Cosmos app or? Uh, is it like a white labeled solution that you've built for them, so consumers don't know that uh, there is a One Cosmos which is powering the technology?
0: Uh, we support we support three models. You can go get the One Cosmos Block ID app and just use it. Um, and, and some organizations do that, especially those that are doing it for their employees because they don't want to manage an app. Um, in the consumer world, it's more common for organizations to get our. SDK, our software develop our, our, our programmers uh, libraries and build them into their existing app. So when you go, you know, an example would be if you go to the Amazon app and Amazon wants to prove who you are, then they they call our library and our library does the identity verification part. So that's the, the second model. Um, and the third is we, they can uh, call our APIs, right? So they can just reach out to us and ask questions, and say, "Could you just go verify them and tell us yes or no?" And so they, we support a very flexible—we uh, call it developer-friendly journey for people to to embed this into their existing applications.
1: Okay, and uh, the business base per identity verified or something like that. Like, how 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 do you monetize?
0: There's there's a couple ways. Uh, first of all, the price of it. It's priceless, right? I'm sorry, I couldn't help. Um, uh, that's like a Mastercard joke. So you, uh, you, you, you typically there's two ways. It could be transactional. I need to prove who you are one time, and then you know they they, they save it, and that's you know uh, usually only done once or twice over a couple of years, and then the other is uh, uh, per user per year or per month because they're constantly using the system, right? How many times a day do you log into your computer? 20. Mm-hmm. So we'll charge, you know, X dollars per user per month. And they get lots of benefits from that.
1: So f- for an organization which is using this for their employees, you would in a way be replacing Okta?
0: No, Okta does single sign-on and they do it really well. Okay. And they they do some passwordless too. So there's a little bit of, of competitive nature of our product versus... Okta or Microsoft, but again, um, they don't do the operating system. Microsoft and Okta don't let you go passwordless into Mac, right? Um, Microsoft does some Windows, but they don't do remote Windows machines, right? So it leaves still a lot of opportunity where we, the way we think about it is Okta, Microsoft, they're here and they have all their applications and they do that really well, right? They've been doing that for, Fifteen years, and Microsoft for forty. We sit up here, and we say, "Let's prove who this is." And so Microsoft is going to let you into this system right here, but it's a high security system. So let's go have One Cosmos verify their identity because we don't do that, hmm. right? And so that's a very um, nuanced uh, difference between the single sign-on and the identity provider
1: that that we are up top. Uh- so you, uh, like, how do you do the operating system uh, uh, part of it? Like, you know, that I cannot log into my laptop uh, without using One Cosmos. if I'm working for a company which has adopted this. Uh, how does that happen?
0: So if, if you're using our technology to log into Windows or Mac, when you go to the login screen, you see username password and we put a little button on the side that says login with passwordless
1: okay okay so
0: we put a little a little piece of software on the on the
1: uh, operating system okay and uh, this is uh, like uh, microsoft has uh, worked with you for this or you've created some way in which you don't need to work with microsoft to put in that button
0: yeah we we create the software microsoft they digitally sign it. They, they authorize us to, to put it out there. And they do that for lots of providers. So there is a, um, you know, you can't just have anybody writing software for Microsoft, right? Okay. So Yeah. There's a, there's a permission model.
1: Okay. 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 guard Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, interesting. So, uh, I'm wondering uh, for a country like India where, you know, Aadhaar, which is your offline identity is also increasingly becoming your online identity. And India has this DigiLocker app uh, through which you can have a digital Aadhaar and, um, you know, so would that not be what you're trying to do like?
0: It's similar, you know, so this problem exists in every country. They don't have a digital presence. In fact, Adhar is one of the best in the world uh, in terms of its, you know, its exposure and its scope. Right? It's just it's ubiquitous. Right? <laughs> but we we have tried scanning Adhar cards, and it's we do it do it well. But people laminate them, and they're not very high quality. Right? There's all these, and then you get reflections. But um, what we would do is be able to read the Adhar card and use that as one source of truth. So in that that digital wallet that I showed you, I can simply have my verified Adhar right there, and then I can transmit that to somebody. Uh, And I know there's, again, a bit of a competitive nature because Adhar is allowing banks to log in with your Adhar card, right? You mentioned the uh, the digital locker, Hmm. but it's complex. There's, there's people complain about limited access and registration restrictions, so it may only cover a fraction of the population. If we can do Adhar and everything else, it allows an organization to be more flexible. It's kind of uh, similar to what you were saying. Why doesn't somebody just use Google or, or Microsoft because yeah. we create other paths, options, exception processes for when it doesn't work. Okay. Well, well let's just try Maybe let's use their passport. Right. Or is there there an India driver's license as well as an ad hoc? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Right. So we could possibly consume that and give you more
1: options and flexibility. Mm. Okay. 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 Uh, How how are you, uh, like, tell me about the revenue journey. What what kind of revenues are you currently at? And, uh, you know, help me understand uh, a little bit about, uh, like, the customer acquisition journey, what, you know, what were the early wins over there and uh, just take me through that a little bit.
0: Yeah, we've, um, I think we've been really lucky. You know, they say uh, timing is everything when it comes to startups or, or, or being successful. You know, if you, if you another popular book is Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, where he talks about Bill Gates happened to be at the right place at the right time, had access to a mainframe and that just created this whole world for him, right? Same thing with Steve Jobs. And so we were lucky that we latched on to identity proofing and authentication very early. Lots of companies do authentication. We're seeing now our competitors, that only did authentication and password lists say, oh my goodness, we really got to go do some of that identity verification stuff now. And they're just starting now. One of our biggest competitors just started doing that last month. Um, so uh, we're, we're at the right place, right time. And we've been on an amazing uh, growth trajectory because of that. And so I, I can't give specific numbers on this call without, you know, talking to the, the legal powers that be. But the, the model that you want for maximum fundraising and valuation is something called a triple, triple, double, double. Oh, okay. In your early years, you want to triple your, um, your, your, your growth every, for two years. So if you make a million dollars your first year, you want to make $3 000, 000, and then you want to make $6 000, 000. It's a It's a very hard thing to do. Right? That's a lot of growth. Think about it. You just made a million dollars, you got to make three next year. Yeah.
1: yeah. And,
0: then, and then people are realistic because you can't just triple forever. I mean, some companies do it. You know, maybe open AI or something. Then you double. So then you go from 6 to 12 and 12 to 24, just again as an example. And we've been fortunate to, to be on that trajectory and have a great set of, uh, of venture capital companies join us on that journey. So our VCs, you can go find them on Crunchbase, our ForgePoint Capital and Gula Tech Adventures and NextEra Energy and companies like that. So we've been really lucky. Uh, it doesn't help that we had successful founders that have done it before. Right. So it's a combination of a couple different things. Mm. But by when
1: would you cross, let's say, a ten million ARR? Uh, Yeah, already there. I mean, that's so wow, uh, amazing. Okay, amazing. And what's your uh, plan for India? Like, you know, uh, do you uh, see that the one cosmos name by itself getting recognition in India by virtue of, uh, you know, like where? companies are asking people to use one Cosmos to sign in or like, you know, what do you think the Indian market is going to be like?
0: Yeah, there's, um, India is a great market for us because we, uh, my, my, uh, founder, uh, Heyman Vimalbala is, is from, uh, Bombay, right? He doesn't Uh, let me say, he doesn't let me say Mumbai, by the way. (laughs) Probably uh, probably know why I, you know, so, um, uh, we have a very strong presence there um, our, and, and strong developments. Uh, so we've been there since the beginning. And we have some great partners there, like Hitachi Microsystems sells our products throughout India and the Asia Pacific region. And what's really helped is the Reserve Bank of India passed some, um, what, the RBI Act in 2018 that says, here's some security guidelines. And so everyone went scrambling to say, oh, we need multi factor and 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 we happened again to be right place right time, and that's really opened up the uh, India market for us. So we're very optimistic about our growth rates in India.
1: Are you at liberty to uh, tell me which bank it is that's using uh, One Cosmos? Um, no,
0: not the banks because they're really they don't want anybody knowing the technology. Yeah. So they we have very specific non disclosure. Um, but I will. There's one testimonial that's public out there from uh, Vodafone India. It's called Vodafone Idea, right? It was a merger yeah. between the two companies. Um, we had a really great success story there, and their CISO put out a uh, kind of a public thank you to One Cosmos because we helped him solve some real security challenges that he was wrestling with. And um, so that testimonial is, has been made. Public. Yeah, and this is so, for
1: the employee login. Uh, that's right. Okay, 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 interesting. So uh, you know uh, uh, just to like wrap up our conversation, what are like some of the lessons that you can share with people who are aspiring to be founders and build businesses?
0: Yeah, there's a couple. There's um, the exposure, right? So when you start a company, if you sit there and you' in your, in your you know your, your bunker, and you just write code and try to sell it to a couple people. You don't have the exposure. And so there's the challenge of you can make a great product that solves a great set of problems, but you don't have what's called scale. <clears throat> How do you then sell it to the first million dollars or million people? Um, and so that's, uh, in order to do that, you need w- one of the most important parts of any company is marketing. That's one thing that I've really come to appreciate. Uh, being here at One Cosmos and, and, and Heyman is a, a marketing junkie. And I've, I, I geek out on marketing technologies like you know demand generation and creating a great website and just learning how to engage with people in different ways. And so um, those are really important for any startup and it's just um, it's setting the right corporate culture out of the gate as well.
1: And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the That's ad at thepodium.in.